being an educator, I find myself frequently depressed about what seems to me to be a change in education. When I went to college, I, you know, I just went to see what college would have to offer. I would take my classes and get excited about things that I had never heard of before or thought of. And, you know, I developed a love of literature, a love of, of philosophy. There was all this fascinating stuff out there, right? And it wasn't aimed at, you know, how will this get me a job that will get me promoted, that will get me to, right? It closes off the possibility. It doesn't even suggest to people, well, find something you're passionate about and then develop that. Or it doesn't ask you to be kind of self-exploratory. You, you know, you think you know what you want and you go for it and then it's not what you want. And, and that, I think, can create a, a crisis of meaning. So what I would like is to be able to turn the public discourse around from that and, you know, kind of encourage people to step back and, and ask questions about what would make my life worth living earlier in the day and approach their opportunities in that spirit. Just a quick note, this series that you're about to listen to on Susan Wolf's moral philosophy was recorded in the fall of 2022. That was my first uh, semester of Houston's master's program. Uh, that's when this series was recorded. It's not being released until now because, well, grad school got in the way. But it is here. It is still um, relevant. These things are not going out of date at any time soon. And um, with that uh, brief introduction, I'll provide the details of the class and all of that in the episode itself. But I hope you really enjoy, as I enjoyed recording, this six-part series on Susan Wolf's moral philosophy. Okay, well, we're starting a new, uh, a new series, this time uh, conjoined with a class that I'm taking, not actually at the University of Houston. This is a class that I'm taking at Rice. Um, so we're going to be kind of, I guess, reading along, for lack of a better word. So this will be, I'll be double dipping, um, doing podcast duties and, uh, and school duties with this. So the, so the class that I'm taking this semester is called freedom of value and love. And like I said, it's at rice, um, uh, which makes it a PhD program class conjoined with uh, Houston's MA program. And it's taught, I don't, I didn't tell you this Giffen. So it's taught by two professors actually, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam Reese Dennis and Vidi Yao, both at Rice. Um, so it's a class, it's a class that basically goes through uh, the main themes of Susan Wolf's work. Um, Adam and I are huge fans of Wolf. Giffen, we'll, we'll find out how much of a fan you are over the course of this series. Uh, we will. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Would you guys um so I mean that's that's really all I have to say by way of introduction. So we're gonna be just like going over basically the main themes of Susan Wolf's work. We'll be going through like a bunch of essays of hers, uh on on freedom, value, and love as the title implies. I don't know, is there anything more to say about it really? I, I don't think so. Uh I mean, just like as like a general introduction for the paper. I mean, I guess just like as a small point. I mean, you said this was like her first major paper, and she still wrote this one when she was with the University of Maryland, right? That sounds correct. So this, uh, yeah, so there was University of Maryland at the um, signature of the version I printed, which may not be the same one as yours. 
Yeah, no, it's it's not. And from from the next episode onward, it will be. So I'm actually reading. So she has this collected volume, the variety of values. Um, mm. I love the cover also. Um, but yeah, so that's a it's a collected volume of hers with like various essays. Uh, and that's what I'll be reading from. But yeah, I think Moral Saints was published in 1987. And Two. Two. 1982 oh. okay wow wow i didn't even realize that yeah yeah and um <laughs> i think it's true to say you could disagree with everything susan wolf has to say but still find immense value in her papers on the force of her writing alone like even if you even if you think every point she makes is bunk and she makes it for the wrong reasons, which I don't, I still think it's a it's it's a rare pleasure of of academic philosophy to read her work. Which, oh, definitely. I mean, it was beautifully it was, written. Yeah, it was very well written. Yes, it was. It was very circular in nature too, in the sense that, like, um, I mean, she really ties in, you know, her major points in at the end, you know, to how she starts the paper. So, like. By the time you hit like page 19, she totally ties it back around. So, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Um, okay. So, I guess, I guess we can sort of talk about it in any way we want to. Um, <laughs> it's been a little while since we've done a podcast, but um, I mean, so first of all, I so I'll put my cards on the table. You know, I both like reread this paper earlier today and then had the two and a half hour seminar on it. So I am kind of, you know, I've I'm at my fill almost of talking about, you know, this paper in particular for the day. So mm -hmm. I may be a little bit scatterbrained when it comes to the overall thrust of the paper, but I take her main point to be that basically she's she's investigating the goal of morality itself so she's asking like when we're talking about moral systems she's raising the question of like okay what is a moral system for what does it mean to aspire to a moral aim like what are the things you know that we should be aiming for she's not like i think there's i think there's a way to read this and come away thinking like oh this was a devastating critique of like utilitarianism and that's not what this is in my view at least um this is much more of using, you know, utilitarianism or Kantianism as a foil to then kind of like put forth her own uh, view on on morality. Does that square with how you guys read it? Yeah, that is kind of how I read it. And it's like, um, you know, it's also like it, like a moral framework isn't the only framework, you know, mm. through which to view um, like kind of life's meaning or how you know meaning in one's life so um and if one attempts to kind of like derive meaning entirely from one's moral framework then one is missing out on a lot of other values and potential um i don't know i guess like achievements that one could have like at least personality wise yeah. character wise yeah, I think I think she would say that there's a certain there's a certain poverty to the life of a moral saint, right? Yeah. Um, can I? So okay, I I think that the first what um, the first three sentences 
of this paper, I would nominate for the best three sentences of any paper ever written. Like mm -hmm. a, I, it, so she opens the paper by saying, I don't know whether there are any moral saints, but if there are, I am glad that neither I nor those whom about whom I care most are among them. By moral saint, I mean a person whose every action is as morally good as possible, a person that is who is as morally worthy as can be. So <laughs> I mean that first of all is a great way to open the paper, but it's very effective. It's so effective. She introduces the like core concept, not the core concept, but a core concept of the paper in a, in a, an incredibly brief, straightforward way, which is like pretty fucking rare for yeah. philosophy papers. And frankly, for me, it immediately made me kind of contemplate this because I have, don't have much of a background in like moral philosophy. So mm. it immediately kind of sent me in a proper frame of mind for like the remaining 20 pages. Oh, there was, okay. Oh, so this was caught by someone in class that was actually really interesting. Um, and I did not pick up on this, but you could accuse her of a minor conflation in the third sentence um, already because, so she says, you know, by moral saint, I mean, a person whose every action is as morally good as possible. That's one concept, like someone whose every action is as morally good as possible. But then she also adds, comma, a person that is who is as morally worthy as can be, which is it's not a big deal. They're very, very connected moral worth and moral, you know, doing the action that produces the most good. Mm -hmm. But they are a little bit different in the sense that, like, the ascription of moral worth to someone implies certain things that just producing moral goodness doesn't. So, like, I kind of read that as you know, I, so I described it as a conflation or she could be also just specifying the concept she's talking about more and saying like, okay, not only does this person create the most moral good that they possibly can, they do it intentionally, like with that as the aim, thus, you know, having the most moral worth. And does that, I mean, does that seem like a plausible reading of that to you guys? It does. I definitely didn't read it that way. I just kind of read it as like, you know, uh, almost like the same. Yeah. It's almost like, okay, they've acted as morally as they could, uh, or, you know, within like a certain framework. Mm -hmm. So they've achieved like the highest moral worth within that framework. I can imagine if there's like a body of literature, which kind of clarifies the concepts that it could be a little bit jarring that she kind of just like assumes an equivalency. Um, but for like intuitively just kind of reading it casually, like, I was like, morally good as possible, moral worth. I was like, yeah, okay, that follows. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, you know, there's like, as you both know, there's sort of also concept of like praiseworthiness or blameworthiness in the responsibility debate. And yes. those can be different than the effects that they produce. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, but I, I'm going to choose to read that as more of a clarification. Like you can't be a moral saint by accident, in other words. Um yeah, I think that's a fair reading. That's what I assumed going through the first time. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll read a few other kind of like table in quotes. She says, um, in other words, I believe that moral perfection in the sense of moral saintliness does not constitute a model of personal well-being towards which it would be particularly rational or good or desirable for a human being to strive. So, you know, this kind of introduces like a, a bit of a, a tension. And she says... Uh, it is generally assumed that one ought to be as morally good as possible and that what limits there are to moralities hold on us are set by features of human nature, which we ought not to be proud. So she's kind of saying like, it's generally assumed 
that, you know, there are these like extremely strong moral imperatives and the fact that we can't reach them, we can't do the most good possible in every circumstance is like a shortcoming of ours. Yeah. She's, she's going to resist that conclusion and argue that, quote, we must change our conception of what is involved in affirming a moral theory, which is, yeah, like I said in the beginning, it's actually really interesting. Um, like, I, so I take her point to be in this paper, like, she's not, she's not talking about the content of any moral theory. Rather, it's the idea that, like, if you ascribe to a moral theory, to tell you like if you think that a moral theory populates the answer to everything every question of like should or ought then you are missing something grave in life um and yeah yeah i was just kind of curious so this would have been a while ago i'm guessing for you jordan but do you remember how that like kind of rubbed against or with your intuitions the first time you read this like just that kind of claim because she goes kind of out of the gate here um, and I think is assuming she's going to be ju- like butting up against like some intuition, right? I was, That's yeah. the, kind of the framing. So I'm just not sure if like to what extent you felt that as well. I was actually talking with uh, Sam in his office hours today before this. Uh, okay. So this is the first time that I've read this uh, paper, like cover to cover. I had read excerpts of it. I have like read quotes from it mm-hmm. in other readings. Right. But this is the first time I've like sat down and read this paper. So I knew kind of like the thrust of her argument, but I, I would say that in like the beginning of my philosophy classes in college, I was much more, and I still am to some degree. And like, I don't, I don't know to what degree I am like really holding to this. I think the next couple of weeks readings will, will push me in one direction or another. But like I started off initially with the position of saying, uh, yes, like these moral, um, these like moral imperatives are extreme. They are demanding and they are inescapable. Like I can't find a good objection to like, do you know Peter Singer's shallow pond argument? Um, Sounds familiar. Yes. yes. So like, the, the, I'll gloss it real quick. It's basically like you would be a monster if you stepped over a drowning, uh, a drowning uh, child in a shallow pond because you didn't want to ruin your shoes, right? Like you'd be a monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's the same fucking thing on a world scale. Like you have the ability to donate to Oxfam the $300 that you will use right. to buy a new suit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just so like, you know, for for things like that, for instance, like I just don't have a good response to that. Like, I just, I think he's right. And I also think that, you know, I, I know that I'm not going to do that. So how do I square that? Well, I've always just said like humans fall short of the demands of morality. Like I did exactly what Wolf is, is pushing back against. Okay. Like, that was really what I was curious about. Yeah. Cause I had kind of the same framework. Exactly. It's like, yeah. it, it can be squared. Like you said, just, you know, people can be louses, so <laughs> everything everything's consistent in that framework. But yeah, um, it was very yeah. interesting. Even just the first page alone, I just really was curious what your initial impressions were. Adam, yours as well. I'm curious if you were kind of with us. I mean, whenever I read this, I was definitely kind of I wasn't, I guess, like holding any opinion. I was kind of waiting for her to like define for me like what a moral state would look like. Like I wanted, I wanted to actually kind of. <laughs> begin to kind of judge whatever she kind of depicted first, you know what I mean? Like make sure we're on the same page for what she means by moral saintliness. Like, and yeah, like it, the intuition though, how did that feel? Like, I know, like I I was also waiting 
the entire time just to like for more you know <laughs> clarifications and such but how do the like the intuitions on the first page i'm just curious I don't know. It kind of made kind of sense to me, to be honest with you. Maybe that's because I knew this paper was supposed to be good before reading it, but I don't know. It kind of made sense to me. I'm just like, like a moral saint. I'm like, I, you know, is that the, you know, only way to judge somebody, you know what I mean? Like, so, you know, through like the lens of some sort of moral framework. So I was kind of like, I guess, probably primed to have that opinion, but I certainly, I certainly kind of, came in with that opinion like by the end of page one so okay yeah. no yeah. that's fair yeah. i was just curious that was like one of the biggest things i wanted to ask about yeah yeah what did you guys think of i so the like the you know we just talked about like the kind of the introduction section but the the section after that is called moral saints and common sense i i mean this section was extremely funny also like it, in besides being insightful i found her descriptions of you know, she was kind of mocking the two types of saints almost. Like, I found that very, very funny. Uh, do, so, okay, sh- I guess we should explain the two types of saints that there are. Um, so there's the uh, loving saint and the rational saint. And so so they're both, they're both types of moral saints in that, you know, they conform to her definition, right? They produce the most uh, moral good that they possibly can. Uh, and they're as morally worthy as they can be, right? So, um, the I'll, I'll just like table them both, and then I'm curious if you guys had any thoughts about the two types of saints. But okay, so the loving saint is someone who uh, I'll just I'll just read a little bit of of Wolf here. So she says, a moral saint that might be someone whose concern for others plays the role that is played in most of our lives by more selfish or at any rate, less morally worthy concerns for the moral saint, the promotion of the welfare of others might play the role that is played for most of us by the enjoyment of material comforts, the opportunity to engage in intellectual and physical activities of our choice and the love, respect and companionship of people whom we love, respect and enjoy. So that's just a way of saying basically like the loving saint, maximizes moral outcomes because that's what they want to do like that's kind of what yeah. they yeah i um, thought i was that was kind of like hard to like gra- i mean it was it's straightforward but like mm-hmm. it's hard to grasp like the mental state it's like someone's bioengineered to like the the entire incentive structure internally is warped like the joy you get like eating ice cream is is like that's what i get for like sacrificing my like time and money and energy mm-hmm. towards helping people like that like positive incentive you know yeah very interesting but it seemed do like we, the le- less probable option do we think there's anything i guess like disturbing or problematics you know per se about being like a loving saint that's what i was getting at like like i because i because i think the rational saints okay like that's a completely different discussion but like let's just focus on the loving saint here I mean, this is like, you know, like the values of this individual are in complete alignment with like moral aims, right? Yeah. And it's compl- it's a completely fulfilling thing for that person too. Mm-hmm. So- and I think also because of the way she set up the problem, she's also defined the fact that like the loving saint, because they're motivated by what they want to do, 
and they yeah. always maximize the good that is also saying that like they don't have any other projects they don't have like these other um she even says at one point i don't remember the page but like for the loving saint um any uh, well this is for both kind of saints but it applies to the loving saint um mm -hmm. like any any non-moral skills or kind of um or or maybe even just like material goods you might come into are only good instrumentally to produce yes. good so like if you have like a patient character or whatever or you have the skill of like she has the example of you know if you're really good at golf that might yeah. only be incidentally good if it secures a donation from oxfam or something right right yeah so like sure. i like the loving saint i mean to answer your question adam like <laughs> Like, like the loving saint sounds deathly boring to me. Like I was just, I, I was like laughing at her description of these people where, you know, she says like, um, you know, she, she says, you know, for example, a cynical or sarcastic wit or a sense of humor that appreciates this kind of wit in others requires that one take an attitude of resignation and and pessimism towards the flaws and vices to be found in the world. And like, I mean, honestly, this just made me think of our sense of humor, like, you know, like, no, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, I'm yeah. not sure we would like enjoy that type of person, but certainly nothing in that description kind of like, like disturbed me. You know what I mean? And it's not something we can like, that wouldn't be something like we would, you know, pursue as the ideal because, mm -hmm. you know, if anything, we would all pursue, you know, being a rational or being rational saints, right? Because that's not, we just don't, you have can't really, the, you yeah, can't you, pursue, you either are exactly, or not, like exactly. a loving saint. And yeah, no exactly. one is a loving saint. Like that, yeah. is a, that is a bioengineered creature at that point in my that's how i conceptualized <laughs> I, I agree with that i agree yes. with that. Like, there's no, never lived a loving saint in perfection exactly exactly yeah, yeah. but like if there was like i don't i don't see that as like a disturbing thing that someone was you know i just... don't know it would make me aware of like the fact that like every single like incentive structure in their mind is all geared towards you know this one thing it would it would be kind of like curious to me i don't know if disturbing is necessarily appropriate term but it would be kind of jarring in a way that the um second saint is not so so there's like okay there's three there's three different questions that adam's question could be split into right mm. here's the here's the first question would you opt yourself into becoming a loving saint if you could that's the first question the second question is can we say it's bad for the world if there is like a loving moral saint uh and then third, the third possible question is, can we say it's bad for that person to be a loving saint? So, like, I think the answer to the second question is really obvious. It's like it's really good for the world if Giffen, you transform into a, a loving saint tomorrow, right? Like, it would be a loss to Adam and I and other people in your life, presumably. Well, and <laughs> <laughs> But no, I think that's fair. These are interesting I mean? questions. Um, yeah. And, and like, because I also think the answer to the first question, we're probably going to agree because the fact that we're not moral saints means that we would resist becoming one. Yeah. Right. It's a value kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I, like, you know, I, I didn't think of that question for class. It would have been an interesting one to like bring up, but um, like I, and Wolf would probably say, yeah, like there's something to the fact that you would not opt into becoming a loving saint if you it, could. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. That's a, that's a very interesting version of a vampire problem. Yeah. yeah. And it's <laughs> Do you become different. like the best version of yourself <laughs> or well, 
Wolf would well, think that, but she, yeah, yeah, she cause, because because from one framework could be considered because I would opt into if you were like, would you wave a magic wand and become the best version of yourself? Yeah, like I, but it's yeah. not equivalent, and that's, that's kind of the not, entire point. That's yeah. actually and yeah, the, like one of the entire points of her paper. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the perfectionist view, right? Yes, as, as, as opposed to the purely you know moralist view here. The individual um, perfectionist view. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. like personal excellence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, no, I wouldn't want to become that person because I kind of like, you know, mm. assess my own, um, you know, I guess my own life's meaning through like a variety of different. At least one non-moral framework. Yeah. 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 But I don't think that's bad for that person though, if they did. That's interesting. See, I think I think Wolf is pretty clear that the answer would be yes. Wait, being that person or transforming into that person? I'm sorry, I lost the it, It's being. Like being that person. Yeah. So so Adam was answering like to yeah. my third question, can we say it's bad for the loving saint to be a loving saint? To be like, like basically born in this case. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, hmm. if that person is well, I guess there's kind of a because my intuition is no, like I, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, like, it's like, I think you'd have to appeal to like, like non-moral grounds, which like they wouldn't value anyway. So like, well, I think, I think we, so, so I don't know that it depends on what they value. Like you, I was kind of saying, um, could we as like a rational third party kind of like look at them and say this condition that they have is bad for them, even if they themselves wouldn't say it in the same way that you might say it for someone who's, you know, has, has Alzheimer's or something. Right. Yeah. Like, are we, hmm, okay. I guess like the Alzheimer's like analogy would be something like, this is like, okay. So they're, they have Alzheimer's and they don't understand that it's bad for them, but we, from like a third party perspective, can say, like, they, it would be it, better. But, but that's that's not it's not perfectly analogous though, because like the like the loving saint is someone where like their desires, yes, and yeah. like their values and their aims are all in alignment, right? Yeah, yeah. Like so, so like so for like the Alzheimer's individual, it would be like they're in this like disordered mental state, mm -hmm. but in that state it's like aligned that they, they wish to like act like this and they do act like that. And it's like, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, this person clearly like would experience like some joy, right. And like other, yeah, yeah. you know, emotional states that you might value from at least some framework. Um, so it, it's pretty difficult to evaluate, but I think it, a little bit, it depends on whether you agree with some of um, Wolf's, I want to call them assumptions um, about like how they would be interpersonally. Cause if you kind of just like have in the back of your mind when answering this question, like, Oh, they would have like basically no incapable of having a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Then I think it may be fair to say like they're missing out on something. Um, yeah. But if you think it's not necessarily like required for a moral saint to like be lacking those things, right. It just may be just like, you know, they're experiencing very similar things as we are just all of their actions are oriented towards you know moral good all of them yeah right it's okay so like he, here's a question if 
Okay, like let's say that there was someone who had a singular value um, in exactly the same way, but it was just sort of like a random value, like an amoral one. Like this person was obsessed with, and they just spent their life, you know, getting better at loving every minute of it, just, you know, perfecting like the, the craft of making like Gouda cheese or something, right? Like super, super random. Like I, I, there, there, I feel the very strong pull to say, yeah, that person's like missing something. Like if we could, if we could grant that person the ability to also enjoy other things, like that would be good for them. Right. So that's but, true. But what I'm wondering here is like, okay, why do I think that? Is it because the singularity of their value system is what's wrong? Or is it because what they value is wrong? Right. No, I, that's true. I think it implies, and I, we probably all feel similarly, I'm guessing, but it would imply that we have a value of having multiple, right? It's our value. That's it, yes. singularity yeah. is just a little bit. I guess it rubs the intuition the wrong way. Yeah, because it just seems like, I mean, like, like reading this line here, like for the moral saints, <laughs> the promotion of the welfare of others might play the role that is played for most of us by the enjoyment of material comforts the opportunity to engage in the intellectual and physical activities of our choice and the love, respect, and companionship of people whom we love, respect, and enjoy. Yeah. Well, it's a big I, might yeah, I, there. Like, you know, it might play the role. Well, I, I think that she's saying like almost imagine if it did, you know what I mean? She, she's saying it's not like might it's, this thing might play the role of the, you know what I mean? I think I read it with that inflection. That's true. I guess I was just kind of curious if that was like a requirement. Because like, if it doesn't, then yeah. Then who um, cares? Yeah. 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 Well, I'm like, I'm like, if it doesn't play the role just, of those Just pretend that we she said yeah. does instead of might. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I don't know. I'd have to think more on that, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem obvious to me that, yeah. I would say that being in that condition is like bad for that person. So, yeah, because like I, this, this, we almost had this a similar kind of conversation when we were discussing uh, Frankfurt's uh, paper on the second order desires. When remember we were we were asking ourselves like, <clears throat> are there desires that you would willingly uh, remove if you could? And we all said yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And. Like I, and I'm thinking about that in this context where I would remove some desires that I have, not because I think they're bad for me, but because I'm actually just, it would simplify life in many ways if I actually had fewer desires, even if some of those desires are good for me. Mm -hmm. So like, let me just, you know, try to think of an example. Like, you know, there, there's some, okay, like I, I can find it pleasurable in some like very, very small sense to... What's like a good example? Um, like, okay, just uh, you know, to, to like to take take care of a house plan, right? Or what? Or what if you have zero desire for wealth? I mean, yeah, some something like that. Yeah, like some, like truly, truly zero desire. Well, I was trying to make it something really trivial in that. So I'm not saying like the the idea, like you know, like taking care of house plants is something that I could get better at. Right. Like I could mm -hmm. learn more about it or whatever. And I don't and I, I would I would willingly forego that desire, not because I think it's bad for me at all. Right. But because I think life would be simpler 
if I just didn't even have these like flash up desires here and there that I don't want to actually pursue. Like, I think it would be, I think I'd be way happier to be just better, like way better at fewer things. Right. Yeah. But, but I don't think that I would ever, but that list would never get down to one, one thing of anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the question for me comes down to like, is the, is the, is the life of having multiple pleasures in some way, like robustly better than the life of the loving saint who only has like one type of pleasure. And like, I do want to say yes in some non-trivial sense, but it's just an intuition. (laughs) Yeah, You know, exactly. Like it is absolutely intuitive that that's the case for me. Like I am just observing my own kind of reactions, but can I like say anything else about it? Like not really. Yeah, which ends up not being that great of a problem for Wolf. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so okay, so the rational saint. Do we want to talk about that? Um, sure. So, so the okay, so the rational saint is kind of the other side of the coin from the loving saint. This is someone very much like ourselves who does not intrinsically kind of derive this, you know, wonderful pleasure from doing good works. Uh, but they do it out of duty. So they think that, you know, maximizing good in whatever way, you know, I shouldn't even say maximizing good, adhering perfectly to whatever moral theory you think is correct is the right thing to do for this person. And so they do it not because they enjoy doing it, but because it is the right thing to do. Um, so Giffen, I mean, Giffen already mentioned that like the, the rational saint is what's on offer for people like us. Um, and so it's kind of the only live option realistically. Um, yeah, I can at least conceptualize this person a little bit easier. I mean, yeah, the thing is we have the ability to become this person tonight. <laughs> like if we was, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, hmm. and we don't, <laughs> and we don't and night after night. Yeah. <laughs> monsters. <laughs> um, what do you think about the like okay so the questions that we just asked what do we think about that for a rational saint um i think it's I, way easy oh i'm sorry go ahead no jordan please you go first i'm just uh, so i think the answer to the most interesting question the one we kind of disagreed about a little bit the third one is much easier for me to answer for the rational saint like it's just no that it is just like way worse for this person i wrote down one word and it was tragic yeah yeah, yeah, like yeah, th- this would actually be this person's this... like suffering, like basically. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and it would be like I mean, it just okay. It would annoy the hell of a hell out of everyone around you, but it also be just like bad for this person too. So, uh, this is just a, a quote from Wolf. Um, she says, "A moral saint will have to be very, very nice." It is important that he not be offensive. The worry is that as a result, he will have to be dull-witted or humorless or bland. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. this is like, I, I imagine this when I wrote a quick note, but it was like, this is how kind of like what it is to like target the least common denominator, like an advertisement or something like that. Yes. It's like you just have yes. to like, you cannot yes. be offensive. So you're just so like bland and stale. And, and, and like, I think we all know people who are not 
uh, you know, rational saints, but they skew in that direction. And sometimes you, you just want to like grab this person by the shoulders and be like, it's okay to have like a dirty sense of humor or like find this <laughs> fucked up thing, you know, not offensive, funny, you know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's, it's oh, like, just like, you know, it's okay with to just like chill out a little bit. Yeah. I was trying to imagine what it would be like in a society with only one or the other of the saints types. <laughs> Like only loving saints, like everyone actually would probably assuming that they are like able to like effectively, you know, do the requirements, you know, um, every action is morally good as possible. Um, like I think they, they would I don't know that it's obvious that anyone would be suffering there if everyone was a um, loving saint. But for the tragic saint, yeah. I think everyone's just suffering. <laughs> the rational like, like, there, there is no like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the tragic saint. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I literally wrote down the word tragic there. So yeah. I was just reading it, but yeah, like I, I don't know. I think everyone in there is just like, um, no, knowing that there are other options available, but like putting all of those emotions and everything aside and just p- going through day <sighs> by day. Like those are different worlds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're I, definitely- I think I think either way, it's like I mean, it's pretty bad to be like the uh the rational saint i think we all agree i do i do think though that like from like the utilitarian point of you know point of view like taking you know um that moral framework or ethical framework to like um i guess like to its ideal it solves some of those issues right like you wouldn't have to be like purely inoffensive because all to you know, if you were as bland as possible, that might actually not lead to the greatest happiness of yeah. individuals. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. not saying it, it doesn't it doesn't solve it, but it, like it it rounds out some of those rougher you know edges to it a little bit. So I have the same thought. Yeah, yeah. You, like, you would be you, just it, like how, maximizing every balance between being yeah. like offensive and funny or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It would be it would be like okay, you would try to try to strike that balance exactly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Th- so this was, this, so this was not in the text, but this was actually something that, um, Vita, uh, uh, talked about, which I, I was not familiar with this phrase. It's, it's a Latin phrase, um, de dicto or de re. Have you guys heard of these phrases? I had not. No. Um, okay. So this actually kind of illuminates. It does sound familiar actually, but go ahead. Okay. I don't know the context. So, so like you can, you can sort of like do an act de dicto or de re uh, of something else. So basically like if you do an act de dicto, you would be, you would say, okay, so like um, you find a wallet, right? And you look up the the number of who owned it, you can return it, right? Uh, If you do that act uh, de dicto, you would be returning the wallet because it's the right thing to do. But if you do that act de re, you would be returning the wallet because, you know, this person would be sad if he didn't have his wallet returned and you don't want to make him sad. So you return it. So I was thinking like, okay, okay. So like, th- think about this in terms of like the rational saint in everyday life. So, okay. You know, the, the, the moral saint has a wife say, right. And, uh, the, the wife is upset. So you buy her flowers, right. And, you know, she's kind of ha- like having a rough day or whatever. So you buy her flowers and she's like, oh, that was so sweet of you. And you turn and you say, yeah, I bought you flowers because it was the right thing to do. She, she, or because morality demanded it, right. You know, like it improved your, like your, your utility. 
She'd be I like, literally could not do anything else. <laughs> yeah, that. Okay, do you guys catch the intuition that like there's something that hollows out the act immediately upon hearing that, that was the motivation? Yes, I agree with that. Especially the latter framing. <laughs> yeah. I had moral demands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the thrust more... upon me. Yeah. But it's like, okay, like you bought me flowers. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Like, yeah, of course. I was like, I was feeling bad that you were having a rough day. I wanted to put like a smile on your face. No hol- no hollowness there. Yeah, yeah it's, it sounds like similar reasoning to our discussions about like free will and freedom mm. of action. Honestly, in the same kind of like intuition as to why it sounds hollowing. Yeah. In what <laughs> sense? It's kind of like, well, like there, there is one framework in front of me and I follow the framework. You know, mm-hmm. like I couldn't do otherwise. Like I, I act perfectly. So, yeah, so you mean it, this, yeah uh, it, it all comes down to motivation. It's just like, you know, like what motivated you to do this? And it's like, you know, adhering to some moral theory as opposed to like, um, I care about you. <laughs> yeah. I guess like a more just like human perspective on it. Yeah. So, it's, so yeah. 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 It would be like, you know, it was so nice of you that you did that. And then you just lay out all the causes that, <laughs> that, that, you know, fell out of the sky to make you do it versus just the local, like, you know, the local explanation of, yeah, yeah. I wanted to do this. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. That makes sense. Um, okay. So let me, let me take a look. Um, oh, th- these, okay. These were actually really interesting sort of discussion questions that we did not really get to in class, but I, I wanted to float them here because I thought they were really good questions. Um, okay. So the, so the one question that was asked is, can we develop a psychologically plausible or attractive account of being a moral saint? So like, is there, is there an account of being a moral saint? Now, so again, it doesn't, I don't think it necessarily matters like what the content of the moral um, theory is. So it doesn't matter if you're an Aristotelian, a Nietzschean, a Kantian, a utilitarian, an expressivist, whatever, right? That doesn't matter. But is there a way in which you, so can we paint a picture of a moral saint that you would opt into being? Yeah, so my kind of, a lot of like what Wolf is focusing on here is kind of like the de-individualization that occurs yeah, through this. Yeah, And I think if, I mean, this is kind of just like pure intuition um, and she's sort of like tangentially addressed, well, actually, I think she does sort of address this. Mm-hmm. But like if you can somehow like incorporate into like the moral concerns of the person, a self-interest, you know, it's like if you imagine that like my own, you know, um, if you imagine the case of like the um, the rational saint, for example, like he, he just like can't spare anything because of the trade-off for like individual like pursuits, like quote unquote, like non-moral. But if somehow like they were incorporated in that system, like we value in humans some sort of like what otherwise would be non-moral concerns or interests or personal identity and things like that, um, then it would be easier to sign on to. So when you say like incorporate, do you mean in what sense? Like, are those things permissible of you or are they like, are you like, would your moral theory say like you're required to, you know, maximize self-interest in some way? It would be more like placing value on it, but not necessarily 
maximizing, right? Like yeah. if you're trying to, this is like a really uh, simple framework, but if you're kind of like a, a consequentialist of some bend and you're like, well, I value with, you know, imagine just like an equation or something like, you know, all of like these kind of worldly concerns and, you know, health care concerns and um, yeah. things like that, but also like, how much is individuality being expressed? If that was like somewhere in the equation, it would be easier for me to like sign on to. It's kind yeah. of similar to, I mean, it's not exactly this, but like she did mention um, like later in the paper, just sort of like a, almost like a hybrid Kantian perspective where there is like this artificial cap to, yeah. you know, um, how moral one is obliged to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so maybe something like that, even though it's artificial and really can't be substantiated because she makes the good point, which is like, okay, you know, if somebody perhaps, you know, gives up say 20% of self-interest and just, you know, devotes oneself, you know, 20% yeah. to, to the, the general happiness of others. I know that's not, you know, Kantian, but still, mm. um, she brings up the point like, okay, what about someone who devotes their entire lives? Like, are you saying they're not more moral? And it's like, well, they probably are more moral, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, but, but maybe something akin to that, if there was some sort of, um, yeah. set, I guess, like obligation, for like moral sainthood rather than just like your entire being. I don't know. So you're saying yeah, so like what, a checklist almost like if you meet these checklists, like that's all that really like morality can ask of you. Yeah. Like that became like part of my personality, right? Like I just like became that person all of a sudden where it's like 20% of me, you know, of my interests, you know, was perfectly aligned with like, you know, um, let's just say like altruism, just mm -hmm. like, you know, generally raising like the well-being of people. Like, yeah. Like, oh, okay. Well, may maybe, maybe something like that. You know what I mean? But I wouldn't be a saint at that point. I was going to say, no, yeah, I, I wouldn't be yeah. a saint, but it just, I don't know. So I, I was just floating that idea. I don't no, know. I think that's interesting. So I'm going to just kind of reframe what I was saying earlier a bit. Cause like, this is how I was internalizing it is this is more of a, an economic framework I'm bringing in, but at a certain point, there are diminishing returns to strict adherence to like a non-individual concerned moral framework such that like at a certain point, like the loss of like your own individuality um, is actually a greater loss than whatever good is being done in that like marginal time. So that's, I, I don't know if that but clarifies the, it a bit. The, so the problem with that is that does seem to just like, if maybe I misunderstood you, but like, that seems to just lapse back into just like utility maximization. You're just saying like it comes out differently, right? Like I think that's I think that's fair. But I think like Wolf was maybe I misread. Um, yeah. But it seemed like Wolf was saying like that kind of doesn't necessarily come into play. And I'm saying like I I think I would if that's like her claim like the difference that would allow me to be more willing to sign on would be if it was. So, yeah. So if I'm understanding you right, you're saying like, if the utility worked out such that you retaining certain things about you now, like did Mac, like you derived so much pleasure, pleasure from those that it did work out in the end that that yeah. was the right thing to do. Right. 
Yeah, it, not necessarily like me in particular, but like, but people in general. Yes. Yeah. Yes. See, see, some, some individuality, I guess, is kind of like how I've been imagining it. Yeah. There could be other things in place of the word individuality, but see, I, see, I don't think that counts because if you think about, well, if you think about the counterfactual, well, mm-hmm. what if that wasn't the case? Then you would have other duties if you were a moral saint. So I don't think that that really counts. Like that, that's almost being. That's almost like signing up for a moral saint by contingencies of accident, right? Like, because it happens to work out this way. Um, But if you really did like solely adhere to what like the, you know, the duty of morality required and it turned out differently, you would do differently, you know, Um, Wolf, Wolf has that phrase about, you know, um, springing to the moral duty at the drop of a hat. You know, it's like as soon as you like if you're a moral saint, like of either kind, as soon as you realize what the right thing to do is, you ha- you just do it either out of duty or because it's the right thing to do. You know what right. I mean? Um, um, I don't I, to yeah. to to assess that question. Like, I don't I don't know Nietzschean moral theory. What what, what is yeah. that? Uh, I don't understand, you know. I've never taken a class on it in particular, so I, I can give you a gloss of it. So basically, um, you know, we talked about this with um, thus spoke uh, Zarathustra, where you know Nietzsche thinks that you know, kind of, it's actually kind of Sartrean, actually, where like life is like the creation of values. Um, remember how Sartre talked about like you know you have to kind of invent yourself as you live or whatever. It's kind of the yes. same kind of the same thing with Nietzsche in a lot of ways where, you know, he thinks that like all of these either contemporary or historical um, ideologies are like false. And many of them were like, you know, put up in the first place to kind of like keep you subservient. You know, he says like Christianity, he attacks it as being slave morality. Mm. Um, So he has like, you know, the creation of, of the creation of your own values, like, being the ubermensch and i i wonder if that is actually kind of the closest way you can come to like it sounds like it i was gonna say yeah 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 i mean you just you're not you know adhering to some strict framework but rather sort of ultimately what you think is right i mean so like and if you think it's it's like and if you think that that's the right thing to do you're just maximizing that yeah you do it yeah i mean that's an interesting one, at least. I mean, if <laughs> yeah. if, if if that's like the, you know, the moral and, and, framework there. But yeah, yeah, and and the problem is like <laughs> Wolf kind of just mentions it in passing. Like I don't yeah. know what she would say to that. Um, yeah, I yeah, that's that's definitely like the closest you could come, in my opinion. Um, oh, okay, so. Um, yeah, I mean, fuck it. We can we can talk about this right now. In office hours before, I had this really interesting, and or, or wait, um, no, no, no. Let's let's skip past that. Um, okay, so I actually had this really interesting and challenging conversation with Sam in, in the office hours uh, before this, and he definitely put me on my back foot in a way that I was not expecting, and in a really good way and and he did tell me that like so so the subsequent readings will be about some of this stuff in meta ethics um and this kind of this kind of is it's getting to like what wolf uh s- starts to kind of talk about more in the second half of the of the article 
So, so we were talking and because in my reading response, like I, I, uh, raised the question of, of like, well, in the past I've had very much the view of saying like, well, you know, biting the bullet in some sense and saying like, I do believe that consequentialism broadly defined is true. Right. So like all of the things that put us in a generally positive direction psychologically, you know, how, how it affects consciousness is good and things that affect consciousness in a negative way, generally speaking, are bad. Right. Like, and I just don't know how you escape that. And because of that, like, I think that like, that's the moral system I adhere to. And whenever we fall flat of that, like, I'm really tempted to, like I said in the beginning, just like raise my hands and say like, well, what can, like, we're imperfect. You know, do the thing that Wolf resists, and so he said. So he said, uh, he said, um, okay, but like you're 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 like you're you're kind of jumping a gap there without realizing it. And I was like, what do you mean, what gap? And he was like, okay, well, like okay, so you describe. So I described like the content of a moral theory, right? So so, you know, for consequentialism, it says that maximizing good consequences, however you define them, is the right thing to do, right? You know, Kant, it's following his his cate- uh, categorical imperative, right? Treating someone always as a means, never as an end, or or, or acting upon that maxim, uh, which you can will at the same time to be a universal law, right? Uh, or if you're an Aristotelian, acting in a virtuous way and cultivating a virtuous character, you know, never deviating from like the mean virtue, right? Um or if you're, you know, a Nietzschean, you know, becoming the Ubermensch, right? So that's the content of the moral theory. But he said, okay, so you, you told me this content of a moral theory, you know, broadly consequentialist is what you're drawn to. And I was like, yeah. And he says, okay, but like, so you're talking to me, you tell me this is your theory. And I say, well, why should I care? Right. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm like, well, I mean, how, how can you like possibly care about anything that doesn't affect uh like that doesn't affect consciousness like how on earth can you possibly like escape that consequentialist maneuver and he's like well yeah but but like okay say you tell me like this thing affects you know consciousness in a slightly positive or slightly negative way and i say okay but like why should i care about that like i want to do something else like what like you haven't you haven't told me why i'm supposed to care about that and i mean it's like and and I'm kind of like still I don't know really what I think about that response. And... Isn't it sort of like just like a bedrock sort of thing though, where it's like it's yeah. like you either care or you don't. I mean I hate to give that response, but isn't that kind of true? Where it's like why like why do we care about like you know yeah the well being of others? Yeah, and it's we won't just find like, a like, deep meaning you know, that God demands or anything. Yeah. It's, so. it's like, it's like, why, yes. why, why should I care about the well-being of others? And it's like, like, you don't, you don't have to, no, but, you don't. but, 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 <laughs> yeah. but, but, but for most people, like you do, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, and, and it's like, and, there, and, and I, I've obviously this is nowhere near where the conversation should go, but like, obviously there are evolutionary you know, reasons <laughs> why we do care. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that could be arbitrary, but it's not because we're social species. But the fact that we value that is like a bit arbitrary, right? But the fact is we also do, you know? So it's yeah. like, I don't know. 
I don't know. You made you made I was I was editing the existentialism episodes and you made me think about that. Remember I shared that one quote by the evolutionary psychologist about the makeup thing? You remember that? He was like he was like we should teach young boys how to evaluate like how long it took uh, like women to put makeup on, and we were just like, "What a what an underground man!" Like kind of thing. This <laughs> do, you, do you remember that? I, I do recall that video. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. It just made me think of that. Um, but isn't yeah. that sort of true though? Like we just we just do. Yeah. Like, so it is, and and because I I was kind of like saying the same thing. I was like, well, yeah, but just like I just think that those people who say they don't care about they're just wrong. Like they're just they they like a they do care about that. B they should. Like it's just that's just as simple as it is. Like you do have to take some sort of a leap of faith. I I I, and, I, I know Sam Harris is no great philosopher, but I honestly I do think like he's got a pretty good point when it comes to this. And where it's just like they're they're really not part of the moral conversation. You know what I mean? Like if like mm-hmm. if you're somebody that doesn't care about like the consciousness or the conscious experience of like other conscious creatures, yes, it's like well maybe you're not part of the moral discussion. Like maybe or, or even part of the like, moral community. Yeah, yeah, moral community. Yes. Maybe you're not. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, or, or cause, even cause, things that could, like, do. potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because most people do care, like, and it's like, why should you care? It's an interesting question, but like, the fact is, you do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I don't know. So, so I and I and so I responded with that, and I still think that to a large extent, right? But then he, so okay, so then he like kind of like moved to Wolf's point, and remember, like, one of the things she's asking here is like, what what do we even like want our moral theories to be? Like, what what can we like aspire to? um in the moral domain right and so like okay um i'll i'll play this game with you guys okay so like um so you know pretend you're a ta you know in in grad school or whatever and some undergrad comes to you and they're like hey uh i'm thinking like i right now i'm like an english major i love literature you know you know i'm just like you know enjoying this or whatever but i'm i've been convinced by the effective altruist movement right and uh and so i think that like maximizing utility is the right thing to do so instead i'm gonna switch and become a a finance major i'm gonna go into corporate banking i know i'm gonna hate it but i'll be able to make like half a mil and I'm just going to like live in a, just like a shit apartment in a bad area of town and just like donate all the money or whatever. And I'm going to forego, like, you know, I like, you know, say he married young or whatever, like he has a wife, she's not into that game plan or whatever. And so she's going to divorce him and he's going to like lose his family or whatever. And he's like, do you think that this is advisable? Like, do you think this is something I should do? No. <laughs> Giffen? I, I, I'm pretty certain it's a no. <laughs> of course of course i would say no like don't do that okay so so then there's this tension that we all i think just kind of like admitted to right where we think that in some sense like it that would be the morally right thing to do and at the same time we're not advising that like ourselves or people do it right like we're not advising that to become the rational saint yeah so, okay, like the question then kind of gets opened to, and this is something that I'm not sure about, but in a way that I feel like I was more sure coming into reading this paper and like talking with Sam. Um, so like, okay, if you're, if you're, if you're adhering to a moral theory uh, and you think it's right, you know, 
consequentialism broadly. But then, like upon reflection, you do not endorse a conclusion that would be consequentialist. And you don't think you're wrong to endorse that conclusion. It, like, it, so, so it raises the question of, okay, is that the right role that a moral, like a moral theory should be playing then? Yeah, that was, that, that it, is it's what, an interesting question. It's a very interesting because I asked myself that because like I didn't even really critique like or I guess self-reflect on like kind of what like kind of moral theory should involve. Um, but then I'm reading this yeah. and it's like it's weird that like it's not simply a matter of like what you ought to do. And I think in the past, like I, well, I know this was true of me. And, and, and I'm, I've been, you know, like, I think I've been like been chiseled away at a little bit on this, where I think in early college, I was very, very dismissive of the role of like common sense or intuition or even just like empirical data about like what either I do every day or like what people do every day. Right. And I like I definitely would have said like explicitly, I do not care. Like that is not what, like that should not be present in ethics, like ethics or philosophy in general, like honestly. And like the role of what we're doing here is like figuring out what's true and then let's import it onto our practices and see what needs to be changed, right? But like, I don't know, Wolf is like, I, 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 again, like I'm like, I'm really in the middle and I'm still, I'm still like more on the side of like, in some sense, I don't care if like common people think something is wrong, right? Um, but I think Wolf is pointing in this essay to like, I think being more open to common sense as a, being more open to common sense and like intuition and that sort of thing as like a datum. It's like not something that you should base your theory on because then it's just like, <laughs> It's like almost just a purely descriptive project, like whatever we currently think is, you know, like the moral. And then that's not interesting either. But it's like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Adam, I think, like, what I do you think, think about I, that challenge? Yeah, I, I think I don't know. I think treating a moral theory like that is perfectly acceptable in my mind, because the reason we all kind of like consequentialism is because it's mm. pretty close to like hitting the mark on a lot of things. And at least for me. It's, it has actually changed my perspective in a meaningful way. It just hasn't, it hasn't just confirmed like pre-existing yeah. beliefs I've had. It's yeah. actually changed my mind significantly on like how to view different situations and stuff like that. Oh yeah, me too. Um, yeah. So like, you know, I, I, I mean, off air, we could like name things of like, you know, perspectives we had in the past. I mean, even something like abortion, honestly, like I'm not even sure I would yeah. have had like the, the opinion I do now had I not been privy to like the moral theory of consequentialism, you know what I mean? So like, yeah, but it's like, but we, at the end of the day, we recognize that it's not like, it's not perfect. Right. Like it's a theory. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think it's always a good starting point to kind of, kind of run things through that. But if the output from the theory is kind of just like, is so strongly in contrast to kind of like your intuitions I, I think that's something to like be re-examined at that point. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's even quite worth a paper. You know what I mean? Like of how mm -hmm. it fails at that point. Um, but 
yeah, I don't, I don't think you have to take consequentialism, you know, to its fullest extent without recognizing that consequentialism, like that perspective adds something meaningful to how you view morality in general and ethics in general. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So would you say, so like, do you think that you would currently fall into the camp that I said that I did or, and still do to like most extents where I I'm saying like, I'm sort of just like biting the bullet of like, you know, like weakness of will essentially like that is the right thing to do and i'm just too weak to do it and like most people are yeah i'd mostly agree with that i think there are some areas where like i've i've heard you know um certain thought experiments that kind of like push up against like consequentialism and it's like mm. okay may, maybe it's not a perfect system mm. of ethics right so mm. um i don't know I, I think if, if you run into something like that, then you just have to recognize that you can't like, you know, follow whatever yeah. output comes out of that framework, but you should really like, but the framework has led to some interesting perspectives in my life. So, yeah, yeah. Because so, uh, so I was thinking about this too, because like, I'm like my current ethical view is like a very, um, like I would call it like, um, it, you know, again, like first year masters. So I don't know what I don't know, obviously. Like, and I don't even know a lot of the, of stuff that I do know that I don't know. Um, but like, so so currently, like, I'm very amenable to a view that's kind of close to what Peter Railton um, from Michigan uh, has has talked about, where he calls it like sophisticated consequentialism. Um, and now you're asking me to recall something that I haven't read in like four years. But basically, it's um, like the idea that sometimes you don't have to act um, like truly on a consequentialist basis, right? In order to like, th there's a way in which you can sort of like live life uh, in a more like loosely defined way, in a, in a way that you think will like, will generate better consequences or even possibly the best consequences, right? And I'm also open to like a very wide lensed view of consequences like me too. Me too. yes yeah yeah, yeah. i was yeah. gonna say that too yes so so it's like you know because i also have the intuition that like you know there's more than just pleasure like because because you could derive pleasure for like i i, I don't think it's incoherent to say like you could derive pleasure for the wrong reasons say you know what i mean like um you know just like a, a christian uh you know, just like burning, burning some like Hindu text or whatever. It's like a weird example, right? But they might, you know, a crazed Christian of some sort might derive pleasure from that, right? And it's like, yeah, but I think that's the wrong kind of pleasure to derive. So like, I clearly do have like a wider ranging like view of consequences than just utility. But okay, so, so like this was brought up in class. Okay. So, because I was thinking about that too. But then there's a way in which like that doesn't solve everything. It solves a lot, but it doesn't solve everything because, okay, so we define consequentialism as, as like this wide ranging project, right? Okay. So you buy the theory, you know, you, you even have like a very sophisticated algorithm that's correct. Like we're not going to assume any issues with the algorithm, right? So if you give it all of the relevant information, it will tell you the right answer, right? So that's not the issue. So you're, you're in this dilemma, 
whatever it is, you input all of the information and the, 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 the answer is, okay, do X, do action X. And that's within your power to do. This was a, like, this reminded me of Sartre again, where, okay, but there's still, you can still actually ask, should I do X or not? Like, do I do that? Like, you know, like the thing says, okay, do X, but pretend that X goes against some other value that you have. Like yours, you, you are actually still in a position where you have to decide what to do. And like, I think Wolf's point is that it's like at least one of her points, like you're not going to get, there, there is no answer to this question. That's going to like close off that further question of like, what value do I act on? Um, and there's no like you like i think she's i think at the end of the day she's arguing for something like an incommensurability thesis like you can't boil things down into one axis like yeah, you these, just, I, yeah that these things very... do seem more orthogonal yeah yeah yes. these different kind of values yeah so. like you just can't and i was wondering like and here and and the thing is like i don't know about you guys but honestly wolf's view in this was a little bit slippery to me where I, I got a really good picture of what she wasn't saying and like the reasons why she didn't believe some things. But then when I try to grab a hold of like, what's the, what's the positive thing she is saying, I can get a little bit of it, but I, I also have this lingering suspicion that I don't get all of it. Did, did, did I you... have more than a lingering suspicion. That I don't get all of it. <laughs> did... All right, Gavin, you give, give what, what, what's on your mind? Cause you just, uh, Something you clearly thought of something there. So it was more of like a kind of a impression, really. Just like I, I mean, I'll be frank, like I kind of gave this like just one read, so not like the normal two. So that's kind of just like a global kind of thing. Um therefore you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, um I don't know. I I I would just benefit from like reading it again, but um I'm, yeah, I'm, I mean, it, it certainly leaves a lot of questions open. I yeah. mean, because it, it it's had to be like more a, inquisitive than it did, like hmm. overly like yeah, knowledgeable he, about her framework. Yeah, because yeah, you, you finish the paper and it's like, okay, you know, what's a a better life lived? You know, an, an Olympic swimmer or someone who you know gives their life to charity? It's like. Well, it just depends with you know which framework you're, you're viewing this from. Yeah. I mean, from, from yeah. a moral perspective, yes, clearly the person who gave their life to charity is more moral, but that doesn't mean like you know um, yeah. life better spent. So, or I mean, definitely doesn't mean that, at least based on this paper. So, yeah, because I mean, because by the end, I mean, I, I she's not even arguing for like a that morality is necessarily at the top of like the value pyramid. Yeah. So, I think that's yeah. one thing that we can, ex that we can say for sure that she is advocating for is that like, there's not, there's not a unity of values. Like you have to be pluralistic about yeah. things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, that part's very clear. Yeah. Um, I was okay. This is just my idea. So it could be bunk. Um, but I was almost thinking about it you know, I have a tendency to like try to put things in graphical form or whatever. Like that's just how my mind kind of gravitates towards things. What do you think about this idea? So, you know, so, so she's saying like, we can't reduce things to one axis. Right. So that, mm -hmm. you know, makes me think of like, there's a line, there's, there's pleasure, there's pain. Not everything can boil down to that. Right. Because 
this goes to the paper that Adam and I read that Giffen, you, I didn't send this to you because we weren't doing an episode on it, but it was it's her paper that we did for week one, which is like good for nothings. Uh, that's the title of it. She mm-hmm. in that paper, in that paper, she she defends the idea that things can be valuable without being like strictly welfare producing. So you might find like a piece of art valuable, even if it doesn't give you, um, you know, just like welfareist pleasure, right? Um, and her okay. point, her point, Giffen, is that like you know she she names like a you know pretty famous you know, Northern European Renaissance painter. And she says like, you know, if that guy had not painted, like, and you were like a fan of his work, well, you would have been a fan of somebody else's work. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you or some other, you know, you know, Northern European Renaissance painter, right? Like you, like, it's not that specific work um, that you know provides welfare to you like had that had that painting not been painted you would have like derived the same you know pleasure and welfare from some other painting so Mm -hmm. um but her point is like nonetheless we can still say that is it is valuable to be a painter even if you're not going to um yeah yeah produce that robust value of like people could have only get like derived pleasure if you did this painting or whatever you know what i mean like people are gonna get pleasure from something else you know whatever um i totally get the pluralistic kind of framework but like but like okay so here's my idea so okay so she definitely is advocating it's very clear that she's advocating for some pluralistic um way of viewing things where you can't boil like a decision down to any value right yeah but at the same time, she's not she's not denying that there are like very, very meaningful and like one I like might even say objective distinctions within like any given axis, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So so obviously like in the moral domain, she's not even close to denying that there are like more unethical acts and more ethical acts, right? Yeah. And in the you know, the aesthetic axis, she's not denying that there's like shit art. Like if I, you know, paint a drawing, it's going to be terrible. It's just going to be terrible in a way that, you know, whoever, whoever that dows, does or whatever from the other paper, uh, his work is going to be way better. Right. Okay. So, so what if there's like, okay, so here's, and I'm sorry for people who are just listening, but like, here's the way I was kind of thinking about it. What if there's so so there there's concentric circles that I'm thinking about, right? Ooh, hell. Where th- <laughs> where things can be like more fundamental uh to to human life at the center of the circle. So like, you know, I'm almost think like I don't want to like mention Maslow's or Maslow or whatever, but like almost his hierarchy of needs. So like but but that's not the whole story because there are like multiple axes of like many many different things that all can have more fundamental things or less fundamental things on it so you know there's like okay so like you you could even look at it in like terms of like rationality like there are like really really basic kind of concepts or abilities that that define like the bare standards of like what it means to be rational up until people who are like 
you know, they understand things in a way in which we will never like even dream of understanding them. Right. But that sense seems almost like less fundamental than like really basic senses of rationality. And it could be the same thing for different like moral virtues or whatever. Right. Um, Gif, <laughs> what do you, th- what do you think about this Giffen? Like, <laughs> no, I, my mind wandered a bit for a second. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Please go on. Just go on. Just thinking about the things that you could never dream of understanding. <laughs> <laughs> Rye grin. As for a moment, you glimpse what you could never understand. <laughs> Only for a passing moment. I don't know. I'm. I'm just thinking. Like I don't know. I almost wonder if she could preserve some sort of aspect of like fundamentality, but things still being on different axes that you still have to like. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's me trying to boil it down too much. I think she would resist that. (laughs) I get your point. I get your point. I just, that, that definitely opens up an, you know, entire can of worms though. I mean, it's just like, like, where is, you know, for something like, um, like morality, like where, where was that line of like reaching, like at least like the, the fundamental, you know, moral sense. Yeah, I might resist saying like there is a line, but I'm saying like maybe some moral concepts are more fundamental or like or maybe even just like, you know. <sighs> but that but then again, it almost like that, seems like you're trying to compare things, though, you know what I mean? Well, like you're, I'm you're, saying you're, you're, you you're leaving that open. I'm saying you I'm, I'm granting her the idea that you can't compare across the axes, but keeping the ability to compare within them. In a way, like, okay, you could almost imagine, like, have you have you seen these kind of charts where you can yes. you could see like, you know, one possible action has like a point here, a point here, a point here, a point yeah. here. You know what I mean? No, of course, of course. Yeah. But then again, like then I'm edging dangerously close to saying like maximize the area under the curve or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And sort sort of meta framework is yeah, being applied. I wonder if the only thing that I'm doing there is just complicating the decision process. And she's still going to be able to say like, in fact, I'm, I'm, I've now convinced myself that that's all I've done because she could still step back and say, well, I just want to be more funny than like that or whatever. That's what I mean. Like there could be, it's, yeah. it's, it's, because you are still almost kind of comparing them if you kind of have them on like the same axis though, right? Like you're putting you're putting multiple different axes all on the same axis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's what yes. you're doing. So yeah. like yeah. yeah. It's like an aggregation, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean she, she has me like on the edge of my seat in a way that I hope like some of these questions get answered more because it's weird. Like I, I, I'm like, I'm like very convinced without being a hundred percent sure of what I'm convinced of in some sense. No, that's what I kind of where I'm at. Like I sh- this definitely opened a lot of questions for myself, but like, that's my takeaway is more so like, wow, there's a lot of things to think about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's definitely just, I think my main takeaway from this is like, mm, dial down the confidence a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. 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 So, all right. Well, from from Sam and Vita, the next couple readings are supposed to dive into these questions even more. So this it's going to be good. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, I hope um, I hope listeners enjoyed at least this episode of the series. 
Wolf is one of my favorite philosophers, nonetheless, and so people don't enjoy it. We're we're still going to do this series. <laughs> so, uh, with that, I hope people tune in next time. If you want to um, support the show in any way, you can do so simply by sharing it. I'm hoping to get this show out to more people. And so if you want to share it on Twitter or social media, that would really help me. Uh, You can also rate it on Apple Podcasts, like this video if you're watching on YouTube, or subscribe uh, via Apple Podcasts or an RSS feed. Or you can connect me with recommended guests or topics to cover. Uh, You can get in contact with me at Plato's Cave Podcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Jordan underscore C underscore Myers. And I now have a website for my philosophy endeavors at jordanmyers.org. If you want to know a little bit more about me and my fellow co-hosts, I'm a master's student in philosophy at the University of Houston. I did my undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh, where I studied mechanical engineering and philosophy. And now that I'm back at school, I'm hoping to more closely study moral responsibility, free will, ethics, epistemology, and moral psychology. Those are topics that I was introduced to and got really interested in in my undergrad work. Adam and Giffen accompanied me on this show, and Adam is one of my oldest friends. We actually met in kindergarten, and we've been interested in philosophical topics for as long as we can remember, and in a lot of ways, it's been the basis of our friendship. Adam studied chemistry and biology at Cornell, and he's especially interested in moral responsibility as well, but also law, religion, and free will. Giffen is also one of my oldest friends. We've been friends since elementary school as well. Giffen studied biology and economics at RPI, and now he works in human health research. And he's particularly interested in exploring political philosophy. With, uh, with all of that information, again, I hope that you enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you get in contact with me or, or follow my work in any way that you deem reasonable to do. So with that, thank you for listening.